Welcome to the Light Plus podcast from Lighthouse. In this series, we'll be talking to artists and creators behind the works that have been selected for the Alternate Realities Tour from this year's Sheffield Dockfest. This exhibition will be open to the public from the 12th to the 20th of October and is presented as part of Brighton Digital Festival 2019. I'm Ali Beddows and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we're going to hear from Georgie Pin, artist and creator of Echo. Echo is an interactive and multimedia artwork which is an installation using real-time face tracking technology. Seated with an AI character, you slowly see another's face morph into your own. Your features drive their expression. When you record your own story, layers of yourself are echoed in the other. It's an extraordinary piece of work and I can't wait to speak to Georgie about it in more detail. Hi Georgie! Hello. Welcome to Brighton. Thank you. We're downstairs in the basement of Lighthouse Mm, in uh, the tech uh, store. uh, uh. (laughs) So we've got lots of equipment around us, lots of speakers, lots of bits of wood, lots of old wires, old computers, and it kind of feels quite good to be here in the underbelly of our building and interviewing Georgie Pinn of Echo. So let's start with you, Georgie, and your career as an artist in the early days. Did you find art or did art find you? I think we found each other, actually. I've always known that I had a creative bones and hairs and everything attached to me. I knew that I couldn't stop drawing from a very young age. But um, I think because my upbringing was very eclectic and I moved and lived in many, many, many different cultures from a really young age, first of all, that kind of created a curiosity in me, a creative curiosity, no television, living on remote islands in the middle of nowhere. And secondly, it really enriched in me a strong capacity for empathy, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the foundations of the work that I've created for this show, Alternate Realities. Great. So the selected works at Lighthouse, as you mentioned, all enable intimate encounters with people and places. And when I first saw your work in Echo in Sheffield, it was an extraordinary experience. The kind of the voyeur in me, I think, wanted to know what I would look like over the top of somebody else's face but then the geek in me wanted to understand how the tech worked but then once I'd experienced the piece I hung around and watched other people do their experience too and I felt those stories a lot deeper the empathy in me felt like it had opened in me and it was such an extraordinary piece of work and such a successful piece thank you that really change the way that I think about technology and art and people. Um, And I guess my question really where I'm going with that is the installation of the work and um, how important that is to take people on a journey from the very beginning to the very end and how it never leaves you. Can you talk to me about that? Well, I think that uh, when we step into the shoes of somebody else and we have that empathy and we feel connected to somebody else, we're connected emotionally and that will always resonate beyond the experience itself. It's long term. They've actually done quite a lot of studies with VR technology 
where they've done studies with things like racism and uh, put people through these experiences where they become, you know, of a different race that perhaps they were prejudiced towards. And then they've measured their levels of empathy months later. And it's still apparently exactly the same. So I think this kind of connection is really important for humans. We feel like we're so connected, but we're actually really alienated and very lonely. Mm. And um, the way we connect is very kind of top level at the moment through social media. And it's very much about, you know, how you look and this ideal perfection. And um, I think... A lot of the stories in this work also are about transparency and vulnerability um, and that's something we don't get through our digital communication either. It's just quick tidbits and digestible information that looks glossy and wonderful. But I think by allowing ourselves to become vulnerable, we're able to connect and then we have very meaningful relationships and Mm. have a meaningful life, a more meaningful life, I believe, anyway. Mm. So you talked about the people in the stories. How did Mm. you find these people? Or did they find Mm. you? A bit like art. Did you find each other? They're a little bit of a mix of the both. The initial group of storytellers were friends of mine. Obviously it takes a long time to build trust because Mm. they're all very intimate personal stories. And for them to tell you something quite sensitive to them it, uh, it requires a bit of trust. So originally they were friends who I knew had a very interesting experiences in their life and all of them had kind of sort of, you know, had this learning through this adversity and become really incredible people who I admired and respected. So that was the starting point. But then as the work has travelled, the archive has continued to grow and I guess people have found me in that respect that they come and experience the work. They feel moved And then they've come to me and said, I've got a story, you know, which I'd love to share with you. And that's how some of those stories have been Mm. recorded also. Mm. So it's a combination of Mm. the two. I'm at present trying to build um, a link into the homeless group of people in Brighton. And that's taking a lot longer than I've allowed time for. So I'm really hoping that otherwise I've met a few people on the street. I'll just go and sit down and have a chat with them and see what happens so you talk about the work as an iterative piece talk to me a bit more about that that's obviously it's collecting stories as the work gets shown in different spaces and Mm. different places and different countries but there's more to it than that yeah I mean I think echo it has lots of departures and lots of different applications that I'd like to use it for and so it's very iterative in the fact that as it's traveled it obviously is collecting a really diverse group of stories from different countries and different perspectives different different value systems different um, viewpoints on the world but I'd also like to take it into on a much more serial, serious level and use it to experiment with certain things like political points of view when you see yourself speaking somebody else's political point of view that is completely opposite to yours how does that make you feel are you able to um, look at your own perspective in a different way? Could also be used for human rights issues to raise funding and create empathy for people that are providing funding to support these causes around the world. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story and all stories are valid. So, you know, it could be used as a bullying booth in a school to for children to open up and see what it feels like maybe to be the bully as well as the bullyee and the kind of fears that surround children at that age when they're sort of just finding their own identities. Mm. So I think it's all about shape-shifting. 
it's about you know like uh, shared identity and I think through sharing your vulnerability and also your dreams and your aspirations we become more connected. Mm. Mm. So Echo was developed in quite a quick moment there was a residency for three months. Yeah three months yeah. Talk to me about that and how you developed Echo in such a short amount of time and how did you test it and who did you test it on? Mm. Well, luckily it was within a university and I had two second-year geeks, code monkeys, I called them. They were wonderful young boys, but they were Unity developers. So that really helped me fast track. I could focus on the concepts, the ideas, all the animation, all the aesthetic the voice, the character that drives the experience is me as well and that took quite a bit of development and find the stories and film them and record them. So they looked after the hard code and then I was able to look after the more creative side of the work. Um, It was quite interesting actually because they come from a very tech background. Their advice on how to make the user experience work was just you know, it was a typical game like user experience. Go to this point, press this button, do this. And, you know, for me, I come from film and theatre and animation as it has to be kind of seamless and you have to have a journey that's kind of emotional and, and kind of gentle. Otherwise, you suddenly lose that feeling. So it was really interesting to collaborate and, and bring those two sides of the coin together and create something quite strong. In a blog... I read that uh, you asked yourself a question. Does combined identity enhance us or dilute us? How are you getting on with that? I actually think it enhances us. I think the fact that it dilutes us is a very old school perspective, which is probably why I wrote that. An old school kind of perspective is that, you know, we're schizophrenic if we have you know, if we flit around too much with our personality or identity. I think we're enriched by that. Um, we're not unidimensional our identities are made up of you know our experiences what we identify with is based on our life experience and that experience is changing all the time depending on who we meet and the things that we go through in life so I think it really enhances us and it increases our ability to connect. PJ Manny yeah said storytelling is both the seductive siren and the safe haven that encourages the connection with the feared other how we relate to stories and storytelling can be seen as an acid test for empathy. So I was on a, the famous interview that I was on uh, last week with the local radio host put a question to me about how technology can shift our relationship to stories. And that really got me pondering. Mm. Um, I'd like to put that question to you too. Let's have a ponder together mm. about how technology can contribute and add to stories and storytelling. Well, so much. I mean, I think we've seen documentary filmmaking take on a whole new resurgence of interest using virtual reality and AR and immersive tech to really put yourself close, up and close personal with the, the subject or the storyteller. So I think immersive technology... Combined with storytelling, it's just, it's a whole new world that we're exploring. Do you think it puts pressure on someone? Because obviously when you read a story, a paper book, which mm. we all love, it's using our imagination, but it's a very personal journey that you take yourself on. But when you're in immersive tech, even with a headset on, there's pressure knowing that you're sort of 
performing to someone else that's watching you do it, be that the creator or another viewer. Mm. Do you think there's pressure on you to experience it fully? Or do you think that actually putting someone in the middle of something is a little bit like taking people out of an echo chamber? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like Echo and and VR work, you're forced to step into the shoes of somebody that you wouldn't normally meet in real life. And I think when you're first using immersive technology, especially VR, which I have a few problems with being watched while you're having an experience, I don't think that that's, that should be the way it is mm. um, until you get used to that space because, um, yeah, there's a time pressure. You've got to quickly go into that space and, <laughs> oh, what, I can't miss any of the clues, um, that kind of thing. I think, yeah, there is a little bit of pressure from that perspective, but um, I think the rewards far outweigh that that pressure. Yeah, I got more from Echo watching other people experience it. Though. Mm, that's, that's interesting. Mm. Audiences. Mm. is where I was going to go. Yes, I think somebody asked me this. I'm not sure if it was the gallery or not. Um, do you know it was for a grant application? Do you have a target audience? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, there is this work. Is, um, it's a, the, the purpose of this kind of work that I do is always bringing the audience into the artwork. Um, the projects that I've worked on for the last eight years all do that in some way, whether it's their face or their movement or their expressions or the way they move within a space. And I think that's really important for um, for the transition of art. It's combined now with science and it needs to be more accessible mm. and um, more inclusive. So when people ask me if I have a target audience, I go, no, the more diverse, the better. Mm. You know, And that's the point you want to be able to cater to people that have never been into a gallery or people that um, have speak a different language or have a different culture, you need to be able to just sort of make the work inclusive and focus on what make the similarities that we have as humans rather than what makes us different, I think. I mean, the differences are beautiful as well, but the similarities will help us connect and, mm. and so Echo's been in festival environments, this is a bit more like an exhibition environment. Yeah. Um, how, do, people, do people's reactions change in festival slash exhibition mm. public environments? Yeah, at uh, bigger festivals like Ars Electronica, yeah. that was tricky. Um, huge queues of people, but because they were... On, there was so much overwhelming mm. for them going on that it really was just sort of come in, tick that box, leave, come in, tick that box, leave. So I think it, Echo is quite an intimate work. Yeah. So that was quite frustrating because it was a booth version of the work. And so people were queuing to have their go, but they weren't being quiet and they were sort of peeping in and trying to look at other people, which I find a little bit, you know, problematic mm. with this particular iteration it's different it's it's way more open to everyone to view at the same time which mm. I actually quite like in a festival environment mm. so as well as working with empathy and mm. physical and emotional empathy in your practice sound is very uh, integral to yeah. the work as it is with echo can you talk to me about that I think sound is always left to the last thing and for me being an audiovisual artist I've always you know 
crisscrossed between the the visual and the audio constantly and that's a real gift for me because I can do that I don't have to employ anybody else I don't have to rely on them and I think for me sound really does set the tone I've done soundtracks for films before where I've completely changed the whole tone of the film just by the soundtrack that I've put on it and it's so powerful and I think a lot of people respond um differently some people are visual some people are auditory some people um you know more cognitive and I think sound really is just as important as visual and you know when Echo is talking it's just her voice you don't actually see her she sort of forms slightly out of pixels and dissipates again and I think that kind of gives it more power because it's like what you were talking about when you read a book you use your imagination as the viewer a lot more you're not given all the visual details. Mm. So, yeah, sound will always be sort of like a parallel development within the works mm. that I do. Mm. Was it important that Echo was a woman? Yeah, it was for me. Yeah, I just think probably more, less threatening, yeah. I think, which is very stereotyped and typecast, but somehow it's more nurturing. And we feel empathy for her because she's this character lost in transmission and she's caught between frequencies and she's trying to understand human emotion yeah. and in return she offers you connection so that's quite nice that even within that part of the experience there's still a narrative and a subplot going on mm. that connects all the other all the other stories yeah that's fascinating mm. subplot. she's my alter ego she is <laughs> i heard you yesterday talking to a member of our public about how you're going to give her more points to understand in the face mm. yeah more facial tracking yeah. points what's going to happen to echo next year well already um i'm developing a parallel project to echo which is okay which is echo backwards ah. so it's the reflection of the virtual mirror so instead of looking at her and the storytellers we're looking back at the public Amazing. and that's quite interesting and yeah. that's a bit more playful yeah so that's less kind of deeply emotional, you know, sort of narrative-based. It's more play. So you, instead of the storyteller hijacking your face, you get to hijack other people's faces and you get to play with sound and speed using your body and using, you know, other audio triggers that, you, you know. So it becomes like a tool for um, the the idea of identity transition and sharing but just kind of more playful mm. let's talk about identity and mm. uh and identity sharing mm. talk to me more about that i think on friday we were saying about how technology can be quite challenging and threatening and a bit and people can be a bit afraid of it but mm. actually working with people like you who are creating incredible projects can actually shift how people interact and work with technology. Um, but I think there's probably quite a lot of questions around recognition and yep. uh, identity that... Um, Having your ident identity stolen and that kind of thing, the fear. All terrified. The fear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this, that, you know, people are scared of computers stealing their identity and becoming, 
you know, wiped out by AI and machine learning and all this sort of things. I think we can't stop technology from evolving. And I think, you know, we have to actually be more responsible as humans and really get our value systems in check. You know, if we're going to, you know, engineer deep learning systems, we've got to make sure we're putting the right information in because, you know, we might have a computer checking our face to look at our micro expressionisms and we're pretending that we're feeling one way but we're really feeling another way so we're hiding maybe some prejudice or some bias and then the machine is going to learn that prejudice and bias so it's a long discussion but I think our faces are captured by surveillance cameras all the time we've got our faces on you know social media everywhere I think we need to stop fearing and start getting smarter and really sort of learning how we can use these tools to become better humans. Oh, great. Do you know what? I think that's a really good point to stop. Great, cool. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about alternate realities, visit lighthouse.org.uk or chefdocfest.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people to find us. The Chef Doc Fest Alternate Realities Tour is funded by Arts Council.